from the Pod Connect Studios high in the Rockies at the beautiful Beaver Creek Resort. This is a special cannabis crowdfunding episode of the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today on Raising Cannabis Capital, we are continuing our Cannabis Crowdfunder series with Derek Hickman, the CEO of Afrohelios Global. Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really glad that we could schedule this. For our listeners, Darren is actually calling in from Africa. Yes, sir. <laughs> because Afrohelios is a pan-African, vertically integrated cannabis company that is leveraging Africa's low production costs to bring new brands to the market. We're not going to have time today to cover everything because they're such a global, big company that there's so much that we could cover. So if you need more information, there's a great video on the Afrohelios website that explains everything, including the convergence of some key themes. And Darren, we know the industry's global growth trajectory Mm -hmm. is just off the charts. It's just off the charts. So let's start with commoditization. Can you tell us how commoditization will affect the industry and how you will benefit from that? Sure. Well, we believe that particularly in the commoditization, the cultivation space, we see increasing commoditization as you begin to see it being used as ingredients in more things, you're going to see greater standardization of how it's cultivated. And as you move towards that you know, standardization, it begins to move towards commoditization. And in a commoditized industry, you really have to focus on low cost of production. And Southern Africa particularly, because of its climate, because of the existence of low cost here, because of generations, literally, of cannabis expertise, it's so well positioned to grow at low cultivation cost. And so we really see the opportunity to get ahead of the curve here. It's not there yet in terms of commoditization, but it's headed there. And I think everyone sees it eventually. Yes, there's always going to be, you know, at the leading edge, the more high quality, which can be grown anywhere and more likely be grown indoor. And I think to a large degree, the Northern Hemisphere, particularly U.S., may always, you know, for a while, have a competitive advantage in that space. But when you start looking at the more standardized growing, you know, it's going to move to jurisdictions like Lesotho, South Africa. Are you beginning to see an increase in places like Colombia? So yeah. you know, we've positioned ourselves ahead of the curve to really take advantage of that. As that commoditization comes, we can really leverage one thing I found really interesting is how many crop cycles that you can get in each year. I thought that was, gives you a huge advantage. Oh, yeah. That, that is a major advantage. Whereas like in the Northern Hemisphere, if you're indoor, obviously it's very different. But obviously your costs are so much greater if you're growing indoor. But if you're growing greenhouse or outdoor, I'm in Southern Africa, you can get three to four crops per year. So in terms of productivity for a given amount of space, that's amazing. And so we really want to make sure that we leverage that and take advantage of it. I don't know why you wouldn't. That's such a great advantage. I know another theme that most people haven't really focused on is the emergence of Africa. As countries within the continent make cannabis legal, it's going to create a gigantic market. You already have a footprint there. And how are you positioned to capitalize on this opportunities as as it continues to evolve? Sure. I think there's a couple of ways that we plan to capitalize on the emergence of, of cannabis on the continent. 
First, obviously, as I mentioned, from a cultivation perspective, we really want to make sure that we take advantage of that. More and more African countries are beginning to legalize cannabis. I think they see the opportunity for their tax base to benefit from it. And it's another export crop for a lot of countries. And what you're seeing, for example, like Lesotho, they were the first African country to legalize cannabis, but purely for commercialization and export. In terms of use within the country, it's still not yet legal. South Africa, where I am, its usage is legal. You can use it. You can grow enough for yourself, but it can't be sold yet. There's no market for it, buying and selling of cannabis within the country. What I see happening over time is those laws falling away also, and Africa not just becoming a source for export, but a destination market. It has the fastest growing population of any continent on the planet. It has the youngest population. It has the fastest urbanization. It has the fastest growing middle class. And so if you are looking to the future for a growth market, you know, there's not a better place to be than in Africa. So it's not just being able to take the raw materials, you know, process it and export it. It's going to be an amazing destination market. One last theme that I think we have time to talk about is the sports and entertainment personalities getting into the space. How do you plan to incorporate this into your business? Sure. Uh, the way we plan to do that is if you noticed in the market as of late, a fair number of high profile individuals are beginning to launch cannabis brands built around their personal brands and leveraging you know, their following, if you will, in order to get those brands into the market. What we plan to do is work with a lot of those high profile athletes, entertainers and other high profile individuals to build cannabis brands around them. You know, we recognize right now there's a proliferation and eventually you will see some fallout. But obviously we plan to have a portfolio of products. We want to focus on very specific markets where we feel like we have unique or distinct advantages. And then also, if you just look globally, if you look at culturally where most of the influence is in pop culture, it's coming out of the U.S. and from our entertainment space. And so by us starting there and building our partnerships and brands with those individuals, not only does it give us presence and strength in the U.S. market, it also then flows over to the global market and really helps us begin expanding into the global market. Oh, I suspect people like Mike Tyson or Jay-Z mm-hmm. have great name recognition throughout the African continent. So again, you start working together with those type of people. I, I think you're positioned perfectly. I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on a couple concerns that I know mm-hmm. investors will ask about. Right. And I thought maybe I'd give you an opportunity just to explain why they shouldn't be concerned. First would be, is Africa stable? And then the mm-hmm. second one would be for cost of transportation. If you were to ship to say the U.S., will the cost eat up some of the production savings that you enjoy by growing in in Africa? Sure, sure. Well, I think with the first question in terms of stability of the African continent, now I think the first thing that we have to do, and people often forget, you got to take a step back and recognize there are 52 different nations on the continent, each with different governments, different levels of stability, and different experiences. So there isn't one kind of experience throughout the continent. And yes, there is some level of instability depending on the country. Now, for example, in South Africa, where I am now, it is still the most stable country on the continent. And I think it will continue to be. There will be some interim volatility, I think, as the, the country continues to move forward. But the country is very focused on making sure that it maintains a level of stability that will allow its economy to continue to to grow and to exist. And so 
as much as you experience that there will be some instability, I think there's a commitment and a focus to maintaining a level of stability that's going to allow the country to continue to be competitive. And I think that's true of a number of the other countries on the continent. These economies and these countries are growing and they're moving forward and they're going through some of you know, the growing pains that evolving countries go through. But we feel very confident that particularly in key areas that we look to be involved in, there will be continued stability that will allow us to be a strong company and, and export to the global market. So on stability, we're confident. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second question was with respect to uh, transportation. But transportation is going to be a, a consideration, particularly dependent on what it is we're transporting. So flour versus extract versus, say, an infused final product that might be quite heavy. And so transportation costs would be greater. So depending on what it is we're going to be shipping, yes, it will have some impact on that. But if you're looking purely at just say flour or various extract, our cost of production is so low compared to many of the Northern Hemisphere countries that even with those increased transportation costs, there's still comparative savings. So the model still works quite well. One other point that I think is important for our listeners is that you're a global company. I think you said your headquarters are in the United States. You're right now in, yeah, you're right now in, in, South, in South Africa. So I think that should give investors some additional confidence. You bring up an important point too, is I used to be in the investment space. And so you talked about being involved in a, a number of different countries. For me, it makes me think of managing a portfolio. And one of the ways that you manage risk is you diversify your risk. And that's part of what we're trying to do. So we're trying to move away from single country exposure. By being involved in multiple countries, it helps mitigate some of the risk that you might incur if you just focus on one singular country. And then they go through some ups and downs and then you're fully vested there and it brings your whole company down. Whereas if you're in multiple countries, you can shift as may be required, depending on the local circumstances. You're in the middle of a crowdfunding campaign on Fundana. Can you Mm -hmm. share some of the details of your campaign? Well, we're actually running two concurrent campaigns right now. There's an overall seed capital raise right now. We're looking to raise $450,000. It's going to fund our concept development. It's going to get our brand platform off the ground. So we're raising $450,000 for that. And we're running two concurrent campaigns. We're running you know, that Regulation CF crowdfunding campaign. And we're also running concurrently your Regulation D private placement, Section 506C. Those merge together quite nicely. Part of the reason we wanted to move towards a crowdfunding campaign is that we felt like these kinds of opportunities are rarely available to your smaller investors in the United States, particularly being here in Africa. You rarely see those kinds of opportunities. We felt it was so important for us to democratize access to these kinds of investments. And so we felt like a crowdfunding campaign would be a great way to do that. Plus, it's also another great way to kind of begin getting your brand out there and building your brand on a wider basis because there's so much more marketing and PR involved in a crowdfunding campaign. And so then as we start getting retail or products into the market, we've already developed some level of awareness in the market through you know our crowdfunding campaign. So in mm-hmm. terms of the specifics around the crowdfunding campaign, it's a minimum of $250 investment. 
So yeah, it's easy entry for your smaller investor who might be excited by this and now has access. You don't have to be an accredited investor. So it's it's $250 minimum access. We're not selling equity. What we're doing is we're raising convertible debt. And so that's the basic structure of it. And if you go to our website and you click invest in after Helios, depending on whether or not you're an accredited investor, non-accredited or an international investor, it'll take you through to the platform for you. So the best way is to go to our website and check it all out. And we have all of Darren's information and the website and our show notes. We also have links to the crowdfunding campaign, which is currently on Fundana. Darren, like I said at the beginning, we have so much to talk about, but I appreciate you being on the show today. And next time we'll get into it a little bit deeper. Sure. Thank you again for having me. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.